Welcome to the Post Up Pod. This week's episode is with Charlotte Hornets video coordinator Jackson Simmons. Jackson joins us to talk about his time as a player at the University of North Carolina, his transition into the college coaching ranks, and what changes and trends that he has seen from an NBA film room. He also brings great insight into what separates a good pro from an all-star after working with Kimball Walker and Tony Parker. All right. Hey, this is Ryan Goodson. I'm here with John Lattimore and special guest Jackson Simmons. Jackson, thanks so much for coming on the Post Up podcast with us. No problem, guys. Thanks for having me. It's, it's a pleasure to be on here with you guys. Yes, sir. Um, I think the first thing I want to talk with you about, Jackson, is you, you are living every kid's dream that grows up playing basketball in the state of North Carolina. You played at the University of North Carolina. You were at Tar Heel. And now you work for the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, would love to hear your story um, and hear about that, that path and that journey to go from just a kid with a dream to, to where you are today. Well, it, it started off in a lot of, it could start off in a lot of different places, but the time that it really started to really kick off for me was probably the summer before my senior year. And, you know, I'd had two pretty good years with high school. Well, I guess it'd be three, and I still felt like I was a little under the radar. And at the time, Dave Telf had the Carolina Challenge that was at Cary Academy. A lot of people wouldn't realize it, but there's a lot of pro players that are playing in the league now that they got their start and their breakthrough at the Carolina Challenge. So I knew that if I really wanted to make a name for myself, that I needed to have a big, a big weekend at the Carolina Challenge. And I'd been the year before, but I didn't really do a good job of it. And I really wanted to have a better show in the next year. And quite frankly, I killed it. Uh, really, really played against some really good competition and performed well, went 3-0. and And that's the thing that I took a lot of pride of was being 3-0 and because the thing that I was always taught and preached to was if you win, a lot of things will take care of itself. And and that was the one thing I just kept focusing on. And it was just a culmination that day of my team went 3-0. and And then I happened to play very well at the time. And then after that, it just took off. And I was fortunate enough to be on a really good AAU team, team loaded, led by Ty White. And we had Andrew White, Ajay Baru, who played at College of Charleston, and Tyler Lewis, who played at State Butler. And then he's an assistant now at uh, Elon and just had a really good summer and the offers just started to pick up and carry and it was was, I think it was during a dead period I got a call from coach Williams and he the conversation basically went to we want you to be a uh, for walk-on and at the time I was still focused on I wanted to I still wanted to have a good showing. I, I wasn't really ready to make a decision. So fast forward two weeks afterwards, I go down and visit because they were able to practice for the uh, for the Bahamas they had an every four-year trip coming up. And the wheels just start turning then. And I was still kind of on the fence because at the time I didn't really think much of what the offer was being a preferred walk-on and 
it wasn't until after that visit that I knew that I would have an opportunity to, to help and contribute because when I was down there, Coach Williams said, and I always remember this, he said, if you come in here and you work as hard as you can, and I know that you'll work hard, you'll have no problem in, in helping this team. And really when he said that, I went home and I thought about it, but it just, it just felt right. I mean, I've really been strong in my faith for my whole life and it just really stuck to me. And I just felt a calming ease in what he said and what UNC could offer me, not as just a basketball player, but going down the road of coaching that I am on currently. And I just thought it was perfect. So uh, commit. And then first year, we had a loaded team. I mean, John Henson, Tyler Zeller, Kendall Marshall, Harrison Barnes, Reggie Bullock, James McMahon, PJ Harrison, just a bunch of guys. And really, that was a year that I really got to do a lot of work on the, on the side just because I wasn't playing a lot. And if I was playing a lot that year, we weren't doing well. Fortunately, we did well, so we were in a good position. So that was really a year that I knew that if I wanted to play the next few years in my career, that I would have to, that I would have to really focus in and find the way strength train with uh, strength coach Jonas Serration, and then also taking advantage of all the resources that that were there in terms of great players and then pros that were around. And that that was really, and, and I can get into it more later, but that was really one thing that appealed to me too about going to Carolina. And that was the fact that there are pro players everywhere you go. And during the summer, that is what a lot of our player development is at Carolina is. We'll do, we'll do workouts when all the team is there, when the incoming freshmen get there in the second session of summer summer school, but just the amount of pros that are constantly there. I mean, your 2005 namesakes like Sean May, Jackie Manuels, Jawai Williams, Raymond Felton, those guys are always there. Tyler Hansborough is always there. Um, Raymond, or uh, Ty Lawson would be there, and then Ed Davis would show up too, but just a lot of those guys are just always there, and just the knowledge of being able to learn and understand the system, and also what it took to be a great pro, it, because those guys would always be in two or three hours before getting, getting their shots up and doing workouts, and you really got to see firsthand what it took to get to that level and have a sustained success, not just in the NBA, but having successful careers overseas. And now that I look back on it, even as a coach, that doesn't change or it doesn't change in any part of life. Your great people and your great leaders spend time at their craft. And that's what those guys were doing. And at a young age where those first couple years are big for a college basketball player to be able to see early on what those guys do to be what they are, it, it, it leaves a lasting impact. And the year that I think I really took off was my sophomore year, especially after we started off 0-2 and we had a, we had a game at Florida State 
and it just so happened to be my birthday. And that was also the year I was one of the, I was one of the five guys that was on the court when we were just getting destroyed by Florida State. And we, we waited at the end because we wanted to get the guys off the court. So there was a lot riding on that game. We went, we didn't want to be 0-3. And, and all the hard work just came out and came to fruition. And I really, after that point, I knew, I knew what it took and I believe, had a sense of belief in what I was doing was helping me and helping our team. And I would have to say that that was probably the, the jump start of it where there wasn't a sense of doubt even into the coaching realm. Because I knew then if whatever, whatever you do with your work, if you work hard, that everything will take care of itself. So that, that was really the time that, that I knew and had a sense that everything was going to work out if you just put in the work. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it sounds like even coming into Carolina, I mean, for you to, I guess, go into a situation where, you know, you're competing with McDonald's All-Americans every day, versus, uh, you know, having um, – I mean, you came in as – I think you left as the state's all-time leading rebounder in high school. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, that's – that, I think, speaks volumes about, um, you know, a lack of ego, a lack of sense of entitlement. Uh, is that – A lot of misses. Well. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I, I feel like that's got to be a, a reason for your success, too. Um, you know, speak about, um, you know, did that allow you to fit into that Carolina culture? Because, you know, from an outsider's perspective, you know, the Carolina way, you hear, you hear a lot about that, a lot about family, a lot about, you know, selflessness. Um, you know, would you say that's a reason that, that Coach Williams brought you in? Well, that, that was one of the things that he did say was, from a skill set, he did love my rebounding and just the, the effort that goes into not just the defensive rebound, but offensive rebounding as well. And – it was, it was just the overall intricacies of my game because my, my role, even with Team Loaded, was I was just always going to do the little things. And that was one thing that I realized early on at Carolina was if, if, if I don't do the little things, then, then I'm not going to have the opportunities that, that I wanted to have. And so – it really became that practice was a game for me. And, and it's not always that, that way. I know, I think I was reading a book about when I was actually watching the Brady Six, where they were talking about Tom Brady and all the six quarterbacks that passed him. And the biggest thing that he said that I, that I could relate to was, if I, didn't treat, if I didn't treat a game, if I didn't treat practice like a game, I might not play. And this was when he was at Michigan going up against uh, Drew Henson. And to hear that, it, it was like, well, I can relate to that. And, and really going back to it too, and, I'm, and I don't know if I'm jumping all over the place, but the, the, the thing that makes Carolina family so special is that fact of no, no one person is above it all. And, understanding your role within the team is ultimately going to lead to the success that, that we all strive for, whether it is individual success or team success, just doing your job and doing it to the best of your ability is going 
is going to help a lot and it's going to lead lead you to where you want to go. That's great stuff. And it, and it seems like your kind of career modeled uh, or kind of mirrored a lot of those Carolina bigs that you, know, you, you look up and, and they've grown tremendously over four years, you know. I mean, everyone from, you know, Isaiah Hicks to Sean May or, uh, you know, countless you know, guys. What What is it that, that causes that? You know, is it just that uh, continual pushing of each other? Uh, I mean, because there's, you know, Kennedy Meeks or Joel James, like there's, there's so many of them. I think, I think it's that, and I also think it's the pride in which we, we all want to leave a lasting impact. And I know I always talk about this story and always find it crazy, but, I mean, think about the big – think about the jump that Bryce Johnson had each year that he was a Carolina, and think about Kennedy Meese working on his body every single year, and then how Isaiah Hicks grew – in four years. I mean, some people look at staying at four years nowadays and they, they the first thing they ask is, what's wrong? Right. I mean, there, there's nothing wrong. I mean, it's sometimes the game takes a little bit longer to develop for others than, than some people. I mean, sometimes it takes one or two years to make that push, and sometimes it takes four. But I think it is, it's a constant. I think it's constantly rubbing shoulders with, with great, with greatness, and wanting to be, wanting to get better with people who share your same passion. And it's just like what Nick said: mediocre people don't like mediocre people don't like high achievers, and high achievers don't like mediocre people. That's that's, and when you rub shoulders with people who walk the same line and have the same beliefs as you do. There's a lot of there's a lot of friction and a lot of a lot of greatness that is developed from that. Sure, sure. Um, two questions I got for you, Jackson. One pertains to Coach Roy Williams, and then the other is kind of that culture in the off season where you're going against some of the best of the best to ever play at Carolina in recent years. Um, but when I'm studying the game as a coach, uh, there's really three areas I'm trying to hit. I'm trying to work on uh, the spiritual part, which is like motivating and getting people uh, to grow to, you know, a place they never thought they could. And there's certain coaches that just have that ability to motivate, yeah. to make you believe in yourself, believe more in the team, to make you want to work harder, be better. And anytime you're around them, you're just, so I work on that area. And then you got your technician coaches that are just X's and O's and they just know the game better than anybody else and they can teach it. And that's the big thing. And then three would be like the leadership and setting a culture and a standard and they can really manage people. So with those three areas of kind of like the leadership, the spiritual part uh, of coaching and the technician part, um, could you speak a little bit about Coach Roy Williams in those areas? I know some coaches are great in one and not so good in the other, but uh, what would you say Coach Williams' strengths are in pertaining to those three areas? Well, I think the spiritual part of it is, in, and this is kind of tying into even during the regular season, but there was never, and I always thought that this was one of the great things about him, there was never a time that you were worried or you thought that the end of the world was going to happen within your team. And 
basketball is such an analytical analytical game and and during the three years that, that I was there, you know, we 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 lost ten games. We lost ten games or more in those three years, but we still made the tournament. But there was never we never worried. We there was always the belief that we could win a championship, and that's what we were always working for. It and you, the outside noise never affected us. Now, I always remember during the year I wouldn't. I would watch college basketball, but I would never watch like Sports Center or, or College Game Day because I didn't want to get caught up in that. I mean, it was that wasn't important. What was important was what was happening within within our team. And and I know I know some guys that's tough to do. It's just the nature of it. But there was never a sense that the world was ending. That we could we could fix it, we could continue, and we could win those games in March when it really counted. And I, I think that that's always the one thing that does stick out with me, and that I've always tried to carry into my into my field now is you're going to lose games, but are, when it gets down to it, are you continuing to grow? Are we getting better as a team? And are we peaking at the right time when that needs to matter? And that's that's what makes him so great even today is because he can he can instill that belief in kids that at the end of the day there's in college there's there's a three week window that it matters all that matters and if you can win those six games everything take care of itself and and even during player development he stressed he stressed that and he it was always simple. Uh, we always have individual meetings at the end of the season, and you would write down three things that you thought you could do well, and he would write down three things, and and those would come together, and that's what you would have for the year. So, and and it's different. I mean, it's it's not like the NBA, or it's not like being a, a true trainer where there's not really any rules that or there are rules that you have to adhere by. Coaches don't have as much of an on-court influence in the summer as, as they would, they'd like to. But um, it, was, it, it was very simple with that. And then tactical-wise, it fit into that. It fit into what we believed in, uh, whether it be you got to get better at being a rebounder, so you got you to gotta work on being getting stronger in the weight room. You got to – you got to do rebounding drills, tip drills to work on your touch. Or I need you to be a better, better three-point shooter and extending your range. It's, it was always simple to, within the confines of what, how our philosophy was. And then I think the last one you said was environment. Was that was that the last one you said? Like as a, as a leader, and you, I guess you kind of touched on that with like how Roy was such a great compass for everybody. Like he's always yeah. leading you right direction. You felt like mm -hmm. you're always going the right path. Uh, be at like the leadership standpoint. Right. Yeah, and and it melted. I mean, it melted into those pro players. They because they, they knew they watch games. We all watch basketball, so they knew everything about our team and. You were always. It was great to have extensions of our coaches out on the court with us, and and even for me, not even though not playing professionally after college, but understanding 
how they saw the game at a pro level because they used to – that's what they would run when we would play pickup. Mm. We would try and run our sets and stuff, but they would take advantage of mismatches. And the thing that – and I didn't realize this until later, and I, I think I actually went back to work at summer camp and I was watching, and the one thing that stood out to me was – when, when younger players play against pros, they see pros what they think of as isolation, but that's not isolation. They're, they're getting tendencies. They're understanding that you may switch here or you may hedge on a ball screen, and they're, they're running stuff to take advantage of that. And if it culminates in a switch, that doesn't mean that it's they're just switching the switch. They're switching because they got you where they wanted to, and then they're doing tactical stuff on the side, whether it be, you know, Canada cutting with the wing, cutting through, or that dunker, that dunker guy relocating whatever way the big or the guard goes. Where a younger college player is going to think, well, let's just clear out at the top of the key and, and dribble and go at it. That's one thing that Coach Williams hated. And that's one thing that pros would always explain to us was we're not just doing it to do it. We're doing it because we see how you guys are tactically trying to do something against us. And we're just going to take advantage of a weakness. Yeah. Especially with, with guys who've been in the same system as you, you know? Who... Oh yeah. And been in the same system and then also been in it with different, different coaches. I mean, Bill Guthridge and, and Dean Smith. I mean, I mean, that's some coaches, when you think of going two or three coaches back, there's, there's no connection. So to have, to have a universal system that's still understood within a massive fraternity is that's unheard of today in, in a lot of walks of professions outside of sports. Oh yeah. And it's, you know, it, it, it truly is special. It was, it was truly humbling to be a part of it and, and, to, and to understand it. And in some ways, I mean, you guys understand. I mean, because there were things that, you know, with Coach Peterson that he worked on, you guys, you guys carried on from that. And there were, you know, and, I, and Jason as well, right? I mean, Jason Capel was with you, Ryan. And just you could, you could, you guys could see blueprints of that filtered in within, within his program as well. Yeah, and, and you see it even in the pro level. I mean, you look at, I think for a while, I don't know if they still do, the Spurs were running that, that same secondary, you know, trailer deny, mm -hmm. stagger away. And, yeah. and uh, I mean, you still see that impact. I think they even ran one, I think they ran one play that we, we got a lob off of against Virginia my freshman year. And, and I'll go on this too, and this is kind of going offside a little bit, but the thing that always gets me is, is that people always talk about the secondary break and they say that there's no, there's no connection with the pro game, in some of the sets that we run. And I'm watching pro games, and granted, they're not all, they're not all play for play what we did, but there's, there's concepts. And, and I just, I laugh at that because I just, I, I'm like, you know, you're, you're saying that a system that's been in it for a long time is not still not apparent in the NBA. I mean, the only thing that's changed is just the spacing and the five outs and just the 
different philosophical things within the NBA, but there's still basic offensive sets and concepts within those offensive plays that Carolina's offense has ran for a long time. And a lot of times I just say, are you sure you know what you're, you're looking at? I mean, have you really, have you really looked at it? Because that it just mind, it's mind blowing sometimes that people think that, and it's, it's just not true. Yeah. And, th and that's, I definitely want to get more into kind of the specifics and the five out and the, and the pro game, but, um, you know, I, I'd like to transition to kind of your, your transition into the college coaching game. Uh, I know you um, went to, I think, uh, Charlotte after, after Carolina as a GA and then the, the um, Western as the. Yeah. Don't hold that against me. I know, I know, I know a lot of, you, I know Ryan in particular. I know there's not a, any, any love loss for, for app in a Western. Uh, I'm, I'm jealous working under the, uh, the late great Larry Hunter. I've heard some stories from coach Gray about his, his level of detail and obsessive. <laughs> wow. He, um, yeah, I mean, I, I hate that he's gone. I mean, he, he was such a great, you know, I've been, I have been fortunate enough to, to work with a lot of great people that were really close and could communicate well with players. Coach Williams, Mark Price, and, and Larry Hunter. And the one thing that always stood out to me with Coach Hunter was his attention to detail was second to none. And, and not just in X's and O's, but being a Dobo and under, in and having to understand the level of detail that goes into everything on the side, what people don't realize is, is that it translates. It translates into, you know, if, if a coach wants this for a pregame meal, but you don't get it, you know, what's to say that in a scout report that you're going to have every detail? I mean, it's all, it all lines up, but Larry Hunter was probably the best that I that I've gotten to work with where he could be brutally honest with you but say it in such a way that you understood that he had your best interest. I mean how how was that that change to go from um, you know being a, a recently removed player straight into coaching guys that you know are about your age uh, and um, you know working and doing something I guess GA life is not easy, you know, especially no, coming to Carolina, I'm sure. So, um, yeah, talk to us about that, about that transition. Well, it's, it's, it wasn't easy. I remember, in, you know, I'll be honest, I, I was lucky to have, I was lucky to have guys who understood that transition. Uh, Tanner Smith was the director of operations at, at UNC Charlotte, and Pat Corden was the associate director of operations and then you had Colby Lewis. So I, I knew I had a good sense of guys. Colby was the video coordinator, but I had a great relationship with those guys. And um the the toughest transition is is that you when you're a player, there's a sense of control. You can control what you do individually. But when you're transitioning into being a graduate assistant, to me, that's when you start to understand that the bigger picture and how you have to, it's not, it doesn't become a, 
a self-motivating tactic. It becomes, how can I motivate 13 individuals who are motivated by their own goals to come together and achieve a team goal? Yeah. What are some of the other differences that you see at the pro level, um, just in the day-to-day? Well, day-to-day, there's – you know, broad, broader sense, it's it's a bigger, it's just basketball. You don't have to worry about anything else. You're you're worried about your players and your team and how you can get those two to come together. I mean, that that's the perfect dream. I mean, that's that's what we all want. I mean, if if we could all say we didn't want to have to sit down and worry about everything else on the side, we we take it. But one of the biggest things that I noticed that was different from a player development standpoint was in the pros, it was really the first time that I realized that individually you were focused on reading defenses and being able to make the right read, even on, you know, with no defender out in the court or even against a, a video guy or just a cone being able to read and make a decision and then relocate for a shot and then seeing how that translates into onto the playing playing court was was something that I never thought about. I used to always think that your player development was just get a lot of shots up, keep it basic. But then to see that you're adding decision making into that process as well was one thing that I didn't, I didn't know before. And, and I would say that there's a lot more writing to within development with just basic reads. I mean, it's not, it's not a, a constant, you gotta make 500 shots. You gotta, you gotta do, you know, you gotta make 200 mic. It's like, it's, it's all game speed. It's all game reps. And then it's, it's, reading reading what the defense is giving you and because everybody at the professional level can make shots everybody can has a skill set offensively that got them there but what separates them is taking that skill set and being able to read the defense sure yeah and i've got couple I'm just curious about a couple different players that were a hornish uniform last season one being yeah. Kimball Walker, the other being mm-hmm. Tony Parker. And as a trainer, oftentimes I'm teaching, I'm teaching moves, I'm teaching younger players, and I've got to teach them the skill ingredients to moves. And I, when I watch Kimba and I watch Tony, they're very different type guards in terms of how their, their footwork, their ball work and moves. Um, Kimba gets outside his frame so much in his fakes. I mean, he throws everything into a fake. And then, you know, he loves to dance with the ball. He's very shifty. And then you got Tony Parker, who's no nonsense. You might see an in and out, and that's about it. It's not going to get any flashier than that. Um, Could you share a little bit just being around those two great all-star level point guards and just some things you picked up just from being around them? Well, the the thing that is – it's a blessing too. How many times I think, and this is one thing that I think is so attesting to Kimba is the the first when he found out that Tony was coming. You know, JB James Borrego asked him, 
are you going to be okay with that? And he said, you mean to tell me that am I going to be okay with Tony Parker coming and me getting to learn from? Yeah. And I think that's one thing that is so, that's so the essence of Kemba. He's always trying to learn and he has constantly gotten better each year that he's been the pros and he is where he is right now. And I couldn't be happy for him, but I think, and in, in with Tony, too, I mean, that it speaks for itself. I mean, he's five-time NBA champion. I mean, he's he's one of the – he's the essence of what – he's one of the faces of Spurs basketball with Monty Ginobili and, and Tim Duncan. And the thing that always gets me about those guys is – it, it's not everything that's above because people think, well, what, how's this shot look, man? He, he really gets here. He does this. But the thing that helps them get to that spot is everything that's going on with their footwork. And their footwork is unbelievable and it's so unmatched. And, you know, Kimba's a great misdirection player, but what people don't realize is, is that his feet are both also causing the misdirection, whether he wants to do – and in and out, come back right. You know, he's setting that up with the in and out, but his left foot is making it seem like he's going left. I mean, and then being able to get outside his frame, like you said, and get to a spot on a dime and create, create separation is, is unmatched. And, you know, everybody, and Coach Hernandez said this, and it's one thing that I think is an essence of Kimba and everything that I've been saying too. Everyone that's in the league can get a shot off. But can can you get a shot with good mechanics and good technique off when the pressure is right? And Kimba Kimba being able to do those moves in pressure situations where where I've seen him seen him fail numerous times. And, and that's one thing that they both did. I mean, they both failed a lot, but ultimately they, they succeed. And there's just times I would look at him and I'm like, he's going to do this move later tonight. And it's amazing just the, the fearlessness that they have. And that, uh, I mean, that's the biggest thing about those two guys that I think of just right off the top of my head is they they make the they make the hardest things look so easy because they made the easy things look so great, and I think that's one thing that if if you just focus on the basics, you'll eventually get to those advanced levels if you love the game. And but but that's that's why those guys are great, and they'll both they'll both be Hall of Famers because they, they built from the basics up and, the, and their their cornerstone was their their basics. Has to be yeah. a pretty big change working with the, you know, the youth that you guys had this year, you know, and, and really those guards really developed, man. I mean, from Devontae Graham, the, the Martin twins, the, you know, they came along. I mean, by the end of the year, I think with the last month of the year, you guys were top 10 in defense over that period. And, and really seem to have grown. Yeah, and, you know, to think about it this way, too, at one point towards the end of the year, we had we had Devontae Graham, Miles Bridges, P.J. Washington, Caleb and Kobe, 
we had uh, Jalen McDaniel. So we had six guys that were either you know rook that were either rookies or like in Devontae's case, he was playing his first full fledged season in the NBA. And we're winning games. We, we're beating Toronto at Toronto. And we're beating Miami at Miami. And j- we we always want to win games because. It is it is our livelihood. It's our livelihood. We're we're dictated and judged by our wins and losses. But it, it it was really fun to be a part of a year where you could see hard work and guys that were young really grow and take down some of the NBA's best. I mean, funny funny thing about Devontae was he put in a lot of work this summer, but just had how he took off from the first game against Chicago on was, it was like, where, where did this come from? And the biggest part too is film. You can show a lot more film to young guys than they're, they're wanting to get better. And and that was, that was, that was one thing with, with having the young team too, was being able to, not only them be eager, but then also looking for you to say, what can I do better? What did you see? Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, that's, mm-hmm. I'm sure it's a big adjustment for those young guys where, you know, playing 30, 35 games, uh, each game matters a little more and you have three days of practice in between versus uh, probably practice a whole lot less at the pro level. Yeah, and, you know, sometimes it's just guys come in and get shots or it's just watch film and, you know, recover. And and think about this. You know, you play 30 games in college, you know, your halfway point is 15, but 15 for us is a fifth of the way through or a sixth of the way through. You know, it's it's just different. I mean, in getting over that wall and just fighting through it is can be tough. And I mean, half a half a college season or full college season is not even halfway through for for an NBA team. Right. And sure. That can be that can be challenging. I've got a I got a question, Jackson. So, I know at the college level, or if you're coaching high school players, there's that, you know, I don't even know how to word it. There's just that different respect level you know you're kind of like preaching to them you're talking you're talking at them but and I see this a lot of times in in the skill development world in my world where I'll see a a young trainer go work out a high level NBA player and I see the videos and I see the photos and I see the way they're presenting it to the world as if they are like pouring into this player they are transforming this player and one of my friends, Dorian Lee, who's a great trainer in Atlanta, and he travels all over the world, and he's been doing this for years and years. And he talks about when you're training a player at the highest level, it's a collaboration. It's not this, you know, you do it this way, do it that way sort of thing. It's more, um, like I said, a collaboration. When I spend time with Stephen Curry, I tried to listen a lot more than I talked. I tried to ask questions. I didn't try to direct can you talk a little bit about that, you know, coaching and, and working with that level? Is it a challenge at times, you know, reaching these players and teaching these players because they already are at such a, like a master level at, at their craft? 
Yes, because like like you were saying, those those guys they understand they're not only really good at playing, but they're also students of the game. So they're constantly looking. They're 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 not always waiting for us to learn the game. I mean, they're they're going on YouTube and they're they're typing in highlights, they're typing in watching moves of players. So sometimes they'll they'll see somebody doing something and think that that's their their skill set, but it's it's not. And you're you're constantly trying. The, the constant battle is getting them to understand what you're teaching them with little things within the move, within the shot is, is important that it has a bigger, it's going to have a bigger outlook with, with your skill development because they just see a lot of times they're just quick to look at the, the scoreboard. They want to say, okay, well, I'm doing all this, but I'm only, I'm only getting this, but that that's not the whole point. I mean, they always want to look at the points for game, but it's you realize that you did this right here. You realize you had you've been averaging five more assists per game than you did last year. And it's like, well, I didn't really notice that. But they the challenge is getting them to understand that going point A to point B will get you to point C. You can't go point A to point C because you're not gonna get point B and that's gonna that's going to be tough for your development and you're not going to fully reach your potential. So the biggest challenge is just always getting them to be on, to understand what you're teaching them. And just like anything, frustration, guys, they, they want to be great, but teaching them, you have to just trust it. Trust it, come in, do your work. It's all going to be fine. You're going to max out. And, and like you were saying, like, I, I do a lot more listening now, and I've learned even with being at the professional level, sometimes just listening even to your players and asking their input is great because they're the ones who are having to do the move. You're, you're demonstrating, you're seeing one thing, but giving them ownership of their development and ownership of their growth it, it, it brings together a joint investment and makes them understand this guy has my interests. He has, he, he wants me to do well. Oh, that's good stuff. Um, uh, last um, kind of transitioning into a little more specifics. I, I know we've been going on a while. I don't want to take up your whole day. You're good. Uh, I mean, I, I don't have anything else to do. I mean, I, I can't really go <laughs> eat anywhere. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, um, but no, it's uh, this has been good. Getting some good, good. stuff from this, and yeah. um, just want to kind of get into now a little more specifics, just in terms of uh, whether it's X's and O's, or um, you know, speaking broadly about how the game has changed. Uh, you know, obviously the the, the um, Rockets have kind of made news as going all in on the small ball. Mm -hmm. You know, what what changes you know a guy in the film room you're seeing everything you know you you've seen um, from the ground level what how the changes are, are going and you know as they're happening um, what are some changes you're seeing uh, in the trends in, in, in basketball um, 
uh, and what direction you think they're going to head in? Well, I think the biggest thing that I've seen is just even watching some of these classic games. I mean, I was I was doing a little work on Detroit and San Antonio from 2005 and just seeing the emphasis on the mid-range and getting the ball inside. You, you don't see that today. I mean, it's it's become more of a – it's become five outers, become four out, one in. But the four out – the one out or the one in, I'm sorry, is at the dunker position. Yeah. And it's the, – the biggest thing that I've noticed is, guys, there's more of a focus of getting the ball – getting the ball in the paint to the rim and then – kicking it out for three. And there's not as much of an emphasis as trying to get the ball on the block and make things happen that way. And, uh, I mean, and that sacrifices a lot of areas. I mean, if you, if you go small, I mean, you're basically saying, you're basically saying, I want to, you know, I want to kill you with getting the ball to the rim. I want to, I want to shoot threes. And, right. and that's fine if you have the team to do it, but, at the end of the day, I mean, the league is – there's a lot of big guys in this league, a lot of guys who can who can play multiple positions, who can play the three through five, or, you know, if you got LeBron, who could play one through five if you really wanted to. And it's just – it's so sacrificing that, you know, I, I almost think to myself, I don't think it's, it's worth it so much. I – I I think that you have to have you have to have versatile guys, and basketball has turned into a game where it is not. There's no position. I I don't think that there's a one through five in the game anymore. I think it's it's truly guys just playing basketball, basketball at its purest form. But at the same time, I still think that there is a value to getting in, inside on the block because. It to me, it's not just trying to throw it into the post, but attacking from the post to me is also guys running up and do a step up ball screen and hitting the big and him making the read, just like we were talking about in the player development section, being able to make those reads, hitting guys coming off the cut, um, you know, and just having guys cut through because that is still being a threat in the post. I think I think the way that people are getting what people think of being a threat in the post now is like we said, just throwing it in and just and just dieseling it in, just trying to get it down low as, as deep as you can. And by all means, if you have a player that can still do that, I still think there's a value because if you decide to go small, but I have someone that's big, I'll take my chances on you getting in foul trouble and being even smaller or losing some of your best shooters or best guards and I'll take that risk but I think from an analytical standpoint I I think that it's gotten to the point where guys are so focused on rim and three where they don't realize that you still need you still need some size in this game and that rim three just doesn't mean change your your offensive size philosophy but to just focus on ways, if you have a good player that's a post player who can pass the ball, post post him up on the block and let him let him make those checkpoints. 
Uh, it's, it's, it's funny. I was actually watching the, uh, the game seven last night of that 05 series. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there were more floppy sets than I've seen in years. Oh, my gosh. Floppy sets and then with Tim Duncan just throwing it inside to him, bringing a guy off the baseline runner and then hitting him and going baseline cut. We, right, we right. still even do that. We still do that within five out. And, you know, it – and San Antonio still runs a lot of that in the day with LaMarcus Aldridge. It's sure. I still think there's a place for it. I, I think I, – I don't think it's dead. I think what – I think where people get dead is the true post player because there's not a true post player anymore. Those, those are rare. But just like anything, they're evolving. Yeah. And you got guys who are learning to just stretch the court now and being able to be a threat on the block, but then also be a threat, be a threat uh, within the five-out situation. And I, I think, I think, I think there needs to be some reevaluation of of that because I, I still think there is a place for for true bigs and not, not to cave in so much in small ball. Well, you see them being used as decision makers, you know, like Bam and uh, Jokic and those guys. I mean, gosh, you know, they're uh, you know, like the the focal point of, of what they do in a lot of ways, but just from the you know the high post or the the perimeter. Well, I mean, you're I mean you're running. By the way, I I think Bam's going to be a great player. I I I'm really impressed with him. Uh, he I, I love watching him play. Just his overall energy and just how he affects every aspect of the game. I mean, but they're running him down, and he's running he's running the twenty. One action, the pistol actions. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, this guy is—he's a beast. But it's, you know, you got Giannis Antetokounmpo bringing the ball down, and there's—it's—it is amazing that what coaches are finally realizing is is that size can kill. And let's let's take advantage of it. Let's let's stay big, but let's let our our big. A big four who can handle the rock, bring the ball down and put pressure on it. Because, I mean, think about this. Giannis is trying to get one place. He's trying to get to the rim. I mean, you know, bam, trying to get to that block and get to the paint. Right. And what do they, what do, they do better than anybody? They draw fouls. And you draw fouls by getting the ball inside. And, and I, think, I think that's where people are quick to sacrifice is – they feel like they have to counter that because they can't stop it. But at the end of the day, size is going to win you games. It's you got to have size to win. And that kind of brings me to where I wanted to, where I the last question I had. I'm Brian may have more, but I, I wanted to just kind of get a feel for who you enjoyed watching, uh, what coaches you feel like run some good stuff, and um, you know, who you take from. Ooh. Uh, you know, I'll start with this. I mean, it's even with how, you know, Mike D'Antoni went small, his, you know, his core stuff is really good. I mean, I know that they sacrificed a lot with just the way that their team's structured. But, you know, he, in a lot of ways, he's responsible for a lot of the basic, you know, 21 action and, you know, quick hitters. But, uh, I love I love watching Boston. Uh, they Boston's really good not only in their half court execution but 
their after timeout setups are just phenomenal. I mean, I, every time I feel like I watch them, I watch them play, they're always getting somebody off of an ATO. And just being able to see just the imagination of Brad Stevens' work, but then also keep things very simple is very refreshing to see. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's where, like you talk about, guys that run a lot of quick hitters or continuities, it's, it's hard to teach that, you know, whereas, you know, the Jay Wrights who, you know, just straight motion guys, mm-hmm. you know, their guys know how to play. They know how to read. Yeah. They don't really get – if you take something away, they, they know the next, they know what you're giving up. Yeah, and, and that's the beauty of it. I mean, and I guarantee you that a lot of it is they run – they have some quick hitters, but they know what to do once he gets out of it. And – and that's just that's pickup basketball at its at its finest. It's just organized pickup basketball. Yeah, it's like their hitters are an extension of their motion, and it's just Absolutely. a way to get into it. Yeah, that's that's awesome, man. Yeah, it is. It's and it's beautiful to watch, and it's sometimes I, I look back and like I wish I would have known this when I was playing. I might have I might still be playing if I if I knew some of this stuff. And and um, you know it's. It is beautiful. It's beautiful when breakdown offense is ran at its at its purest. Uh, well, that, I think that's. I don't think we've taken up an hour and a half of your time now. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's been fun. I've, I've really enjoyed this. Uh, I definitely appreciate you you coming on and, and giving yep. us some insight. Well, I, I enjoyed getting insight from you guys and understanding just how you guys see the game too. I mean, that's. That's another big thing that, that we all want to do is we just want to grow. We want to grow and we want to learn from different people within our profession and take things and, and build on things and continue to get better. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Post Up Pod. If you like what you hear, be sure to click subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes.